Welcome to Behavior Babes podcast presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Hi, Molly. Are you there? Yep, I'm here. Thanks for joining us today. Before we begin, please do a quick introduction for our listeners. Sure. I'm Molly Benson. I'm a BCBA and a licensed behavior analyst in Massachusetts. I became board certified in 2012, and in the 13 years leading up to that, I was a special education teacher, and I'm teaching special education right now, too. I'm certified to teach in California, Massachusetts, and North Carolina, and I have a master's in special education. So ABA has been like a second career path. I remember how uh, ABA fell into uh, our our shared world together. Um, yeah, so, you were there the whole time. <laughs> well, that kind of, I was only there part of the time. That was sort of, I think, True. maybe the problem or part of the inspiration there. So for those who are listening, uh, Molly was, uh, or, pro- you know, you still are, but I'm not, not there seeing your classroom now. But at the time, working in the high school classroom uh, with children with, and um, young adults with moderate to severe needs, and I was in a consulting capacity as a BCBA and had a very tough, high caseload and was stretched pretty thin, and so um, I, I kind of in some ways didn't give you a lot of attention because of the skill set that you had, and um, we we did kind of try to connect on that personal level, right, and, and kind of get any input that we needed, but it was no surprise to me that you pursued behavior analysis when I saw the, the skill sets that you had in teaching, and I was younger in my, my education career, so I had um, learned a great deal from you uh, in, in, in regards to special education through our, through our uh-huh. professional relationship, and I've learned much more through our personal relationship. So again, thanks for joining us today, Molly. You're so welcome, and don't sell yourself short. You gave me everything I needed. <laughs> All right, I'll take when that. When we work together. Yep. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, something that I know that has been of a huge interest outside of applications to special education um, has been the area of environmental sustainability and um, public policy. And sometimes they go together, and sometimes you've done um, had initiatives, uh, for example, with public policy relating to autism insurance and licensure when you came out and helped us in Hawaii. Can you tell me uh, and the audience a little bit more about your interest in sustainability? Like, how is that a – was that personally driven? Was that from your history, and, or is that more of a professional? How did, that, how did that come to be such an interest of yours? Yeah, I think both. Um, I'm from a very blue state of Massachusetts, and I grew up in the coastal community of Beverly, Massachusetts. It's the Garden City. Um Certainly, I've always believed in climate change. I knew it was real. I've been very data-driven, science-oriented, even before my ABA background. Um, And I just grew up in a community and people with people around me who valued nature and people and the environment. So the most looming threat of climate change, um, I think – I've always been worried about (laughs) on a personal level. So once I became a behavior analyst, I was like, oh, well, this is absolutely a problem we should be applying behavior science to. Um, Yeah, and and that doesn't bring me to the policy and sustainability mix, but I was involved in grassroots efforts with my neighbors here, and I became involved in the public process. And if you also 
um, care about sustainability and climate change, you know that we can make great change by enacting policy and legislation which supports the reduction of our carbon footprint. So my interest in policy in terms of ensuring the promise of representative democracy um, was reinforced by my experiences um, and then my belief that we can make some big systems change related to climate change by passing good policy and legislation um, sort of came together with that. So I'm interested in both of these areas because of sustainability, and sometimes they're together and sometimes they're in isolation. Thanks for sharing that. How does one go from being a, a public school special education teacher by day and now a public policy expert or extraordinaire or at least adventurer? Um, how does how can can you tell us a little bit bridging that gap for us? I mean, I think people are probably like wondering if this is your you know your superhero power at nighttime. <laughs> how did you go from one to another? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I my competency-building adventure. When I knew that I wanted to be a behavior analyst working in the field of sustainability or was more interested in big-picture behavior change related to area, related to sustainability or even social justice, I knew I needed to build competency. And I didn't think getting a PhD in ABA would give me the competency I needed to be involved in in that discipline and so instead of adding on another discipline going back to school for public policy um, or I know some people are going back to school for law which I think is great to add on to an ABA background um, for me I decided to create my own experiences by seeking mentoring um, reading research and literature outside of ABA related to clean energy or climate change, um, involving myself in efforts where I'd understand systems better, and going to conferences outside of behavior analytic conferences so I could create an educational experience for myself, which would put me in the position to get a job that I wanted as a behavior analyst, maybe not with the title of behavior analyst, but helping solidify people's efforts to transition us to a clean energy economy, to reduce the effects of climate change, et cetera, et cetera. Still working on it. Yeah, well, it's everything that we do seems like a constant work in progress. I know you've had a lot of volunteer um, interactions and opportunities. Can you share some of those with us? Yeah, the spirit of volunteerism was heavily reinforced when I was a kid. Um, my stepfather was a doctor at the hospital, and my mother started my sister and I volunteering early. So we accrued more than 500 hours of volunteer work before we ever hit high school. And a rule in my house growing up certainly was that we didn't need to have a job and earn money, my sister or myself, as long as we were volunteering our time. So, again, um, if we don't really believe in altruism, I would tell you that this behavior was reinforced heavily over time. Um, one of my greatest volunteer experiences was collecting data on the whale watch boats out of Gloucester, which I did for three years um, late on my last two years of high school, and then I went to college for marine biology as a result of it. Um, a vol volunteer efforts um, related to 
my grassroots efforts in my hometown here in Beverly, Massachusetts, um, certainly inspired me to go above and beyond and learn more about public policy. Then I joined HABA's efforts to help with the passage of autism insurance legislation. Um, and whether these were structured volunteer opportunities or not, these were this was these were activities I wasn't getting paid for, which somehow I was building competency, so I'm considering them volunteer opportunities. Um, but my greatest volunteer opportunity more recently was my volunteer work for the North Carolina Clean Energy Technology Center um, on the North Carolina State University campus, helping to work on Department of Energy grants. So opportunities available if you look for it, and you might not get paid for it, but certainly we can help build competency through these efforts. You just have to seek them out. What a wonderful quote. Opportunity is available if you look for it. And then the caveat of you might not get paid for it. Um, <laughs> funding sources, I think, really do dictate a lot of where we what we do spending, you know, where we spend our time and do what we do. So it makes sense that you're going to be dedicating a lot of energy and effort in order to obtain a new skill, um, perhaps without receiving any financial reimbursement. But I do know that you have, through your competency-building adventure, gained a lot of um, relationships, have grown your network, um, have built your resources and your references. Um, what would you say has been some of the highlights and some of the really um, positive pieces of that adventure for you? Well, definitely the connections that I have made, the people that I have met um, within the field of behavioral analysis, people who are sustainability-minded like you and me. Um, that's been a pretty big thrill. And then people outside of ABA who are already doing the work that I want to do, getting to collaborate with people who are actively involved in rolling out Department of Energy grants and helping to transition us to a clean energy economy. Getting to be involved in those efforts has been the greatest thrill for me because I really feel like I'm helping at a systems level. So um, I also find it a pretty big thrill when young behavior analysts or people early on in their career call me for mentoring. <laughs> I think, oh, wow, okay, that's pretty cool. Like somehow somebody found me and realized this is a skill set of mine and now is calling me for advice. That's pretty thrilling because I want people to move confidently in the direction of their dreams um, or to live a life that has value to them. So. All of these things have been really inspiring and awesome to me. When I think about somebody that I know we share as uh, someone we admire and think of as very inspiring, it's Dr. Bill Heward um, yes. and a pivotal part of our sustainable friendship here um, was when we went to the 2012 Behavior Change for a Sustainable World Conference. Um, can you share with, with people who, who weren't there? And I mean, I think it was about 200 people in attendee, uh, attendance, so many people weren't there. But what were wow. some of the experiences you had um, being in the audience there? Well, I mean, what a crazy intimate venue that was, too. You have all these, all these leaders in the field of behavior analysis who are sitting right next to you. And, and I was a newly minted BCBA. That conference was in 2012, just when I was board certified. Um, so I think the timing was right to just make me want to launch my career in that direction. A pivotal moment for me at that conference 
was in the end when Dr. Bill Heward told us, yeah, you guys are doing great work in autism, education, OBM. I'm here to tell you that the biggest problem facing humankind is climate change, and this is where we need to be directing our attention to. So how are you going to leave this conference and go address this monumental challenge? And I knew from my background that behavior science was not just about autism. In fact, I never – I knew it was more about a worldview and application. So when he told us that and asked us what we were going to do, I was like, yeah, I knew it was possible. Um, and then I just started thinking about how I was going to make changes in my life and what it was I could do to help address these challenges. So he gave us an assignment that I've continued to pursue since that conference. The assignment that has also continued to stay alive in our conversation. So I think for people who are interested, it's not just about finding those mentors. It's about identifying like-minded individuals in your colleagues and in your community. It's about maintaining that verbal community with them as well. Um, and that's something that, that we do and we've done quite a lot. And it's part of why I invited you. And um, I'm so grateful that you decided to join us today to talk about these topics. Um, when we think about behavior change. When I think about what behavior analysts try to change, it's usually individual behavior. So we could have a self-management project. We could, um, you know, each individual is their own control. We're not comparing ourselves to the rest of the world, but ourselves to our former self. But when we talk about enacting change to the level that is going to be of such significance that it's going to save us um, uh, with the biggest, you know, uh, threat facing us today, um, you know, you had mentioned to me sort of the belief that it's going to be policy change, right? It's going to need to be bigger change that's going to impact more people. How do you see the intersection of individual um, change and responsibility with the larger public policy initiatives? Well, <laughs> um, absolutely individual behavior change is necessary and in our involvement in the democratic pro process to ensure that there is representative democracy um, is crucial. So I guess my main area of interest in terms of sustainability is policy and legislation and how do we enact policy and legislation that's aligned with behavior science? Um, how do we get people in those positions to enact legislation or to create policy that's aligned with what we know is effective in relation to behavior science, and then to ensure that our elected officials are acting on policy the way we want them to. Well, that, to me, is activism and advocacy and how we as individuals can involve ourselves in the process. And we can apply our behavior science lens to lead the way in terms of what is most effective form of advocacy and activism. So as much as I'm concerned with individual behavior change in terms of our own sustainable behaviors, I also am concerned with our individual involvement in the democratic process to ensure um, the promise of representative democracy as well. Does that make sense? It absolutely does, meaning that we all have a part to play. I think even when we're looking at systems or we're looking at organizations, systems and organizations are made up of people, and people engage in behavior. 
So I think that's why, you know, the principles of behavior analysis apply to individuals and to systems as well. You have mentioned or we have discussed some mentors uh, and, and leaders in the area of behavior analysis. Um, yeah. Do you have anybody that you have gone to in the area of, like, you know, public policy or legislation or any legislators that you that you went to to kind of help build that competency? I think anybody I've gone to in ABA to gain competency related to policy or sustainability has been have been just as impactful as the people outside of ABA that I've been learning from and building competency with. Um, certainly, Dr. Bill Heward and Dr. Johnson Campbell have been um, big for me in ABA, and my relationship with Chris Willick, too, and what she's doing at Fresno State, um, you, the ladies of HABA, in my behavior analytic mentoring background, um, in terms of policy people, I mean, Representative John Seibeck here in Massachusetts is definitely inspiring. Um, and I would say that all the folks I worked with in North Carolina at the Clean Energy Technology Center, they were the feet on the ground helping make a transition to a clean energy economy. Those are my heroes, um, my mentors. I learned from them working alongside them, or anyone in the field of clean energy in North Carolina. I lived there for two and a half years, and people are surprised to learn that it's second in the country for installed solar capacity, but those boots on the ground are doing a lot of, doing a lot of um, innovation and technology-related advancement, which is driving our clean energy economy. So they're my mentors and heroes as well. Now, when you're talking about um, being at the uh, clean energy um, initiatives and, and working in those areas, how do you explain behavior analysis to non-behavior analysts? Well, you know, it's not necessary that I tell them all about myself or what I do or who I am or how smart I am or what skills I have to lend. I think it helps in terms of getting that volunteer work. I wanted to let them know that I was there to help them and solidify their efforts, and I was on board with what they're doing, and I'm a scientist, and people in the field of clean energy and sustainability definitely have respect for anyone in sciences, so if you can help people along in their efforts, I don't think it's necessary at the time to come off and say, hey, I'm a behavior analyst, this is what I can do. I firmly believe Go in there, help people, get things done, and then they'll be like, hey, that girl, she, she, she was awesome. Yeah, she's a behavior analyst. And then all of a sudden, um, there's value in the title of behavior analysis, but you got to get in there and do the work first. So um, very accepting of other sciences, though, and anyone who's willing to help support their efforts. Oh, they say find a need, fill a need, and then you can explain, you know, who you are, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's about what you're there to accomplish. And I often say we don't tell people that we can help them. We show them that we can help them, right? Yeah. So that means jumping in, getting dirty, being out in the hot sun, doing whatever it takes to be a part of that team. So that makes a lot of really good sense, and I appreciate that perspective. Um before we end the call today, is there any last words or parting advice you'd like to give uh, anyone who's listening to the podcast? Um, I think that I would like listeners to know that 
if there is competency that they would like to pursue or build upon to go out and do it and to figure out what it is that fills their bucket. And if there's no path towards it or no clear um, view of what it looks like, to make sure that whatever they're doing aligns with their values and how they want to live their life on a daily basis and to put value in their life as much as we place value in making other people's lives great so that you're living the life you want to live. (laughs) Not very behavior analytic, but go boldly where you want to go. Live the life you want to live, I think, is very behavior analytic, right? It's all about how we want to to sit here and systematically operationally define it. But I I think it's more important to just live by those words, right? Like create the environment, surround yourself. If it's not, if that environment that you're in is not conducive to, you know, helping you live and engage in behaviors and actions uh, that align with the values and the life that you want to have, then change your environment, right? Uh, You don't change the learner, you change their environment. Yeah, and, you know, as as passionate as I am about sustainability for the planet, for other people, I have to care about my own sustainability and what sustains me and what I need and what fills my bucket. So I think people refer to this in ABA a lot as, like, act. You're living a life – you're living a values-based life, basically, right? Um, So maybe you need to act your way through it. but I I want people to place value in their lives and and live a life that they love. That's what thank I'm trying so to much. do. Yeah, thank you so much for being an inspiration, for coming on the show today and, and being able to share your story with everyone here. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me, Amanda. No problem. And for anyone who'd like to learn more information about applied behavior analysis, visit www.behaviorbabe.com. 